It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Thursday night, and your Philadelphia Union are still in first place. But for how long? Will they stay there at the end of this week? And are you Positelphia at this point in time, or are you Negadelphia? Those questions and more tonight on 60 Minutes. I'm your on host. On the Kinker Podcast on the, Network. On the Kinker Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Kincaid. Baxter is doing... God knows what at this point. But joining me on the show uh, is a guy who always brings the ratings. Everybody, please give a, a, a warm Philadelphia welcome back to Rush Joy. Thank you. Thank you for that intro, Kevin. Beautiful as always. A blessing to be with you today. I believe, if uh, if my record keeping is correct, I believe this might be my seventh appearance on the podcast, which is uh, seven more than I would have ever expected. Actually, no, that's wrong. I'm, I'm looking at this now. It's It's been far more than that. Who would you say is your favorite 60 Minutes host of all time? Um, I don't know. You a Leslie Stahl guy, Morley Safer? Who? Andy Who? Rooney? Who? You Scott, uh, Scott Pelley or a, a Lara Logan type of guy. Wow. I don't know. Let's, let's, was Dan Enough Rather on there? Can I, can I go Dan No, Rather? I don't think Dan Rather was, was on Tom 60 Brokaw Minutes. Was Tom Brokaw on there? And I'm Tom Brokaw. No? <laughs> Um, anyway, let's get to more important things. Uh, sure. We always say that Russ brings the uh, ratings when he's um, comes on the show, and I'm not just saying that. I think the last one that you and I did had like 1,500 um, downloads, huh? Yeah. Now, my the question is, you have access to like the credentials on uh, on Art Nineteen, so are you indeed doctoring the numbers to make yourself look better? I wish I were. That would that would be awesome for sponsorships. Uh, if I could just do that since I control the entire podcast network, but, uh, no, although I don't know what this says about the show, but to my knowledge and, and to the records that I see here, it would appear that the top three listened to episodes of it's always soccer in Philadelphia of all time mm-hmm. have featured yours truly. I, I just think that happens That's to true. be a, a, a strange coincidence. And if anybody doesn't believe us, I will, uh, take a picture of it. I'll, I'll crop out the numbers for, uh, since they're, um, confidential not that i'm really who the fuck am i kidding like what do i care would be if people know what the numbers are or not it's not like we're in this for like the money or anything um and i will show that if anybody demands proofs so if you demand proof just let me know and i will f- i will furnish that proof uh, that's the first uh, bit of housekeeping before we jump into it tonight the second bit of housekeeping um i got an email from some guy from a website called chartable and they look somewhat legit. And he said that uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia currently ranks 1,249 on the Apple Sports and Apple Podcasts Sports and Recreation charts. Um, is that true? Do I is where do I go to find that? Is that online somewhere? Is That's that really proprietary information? Uh, you could probably pull it up since iTunes is dying off. It's going the way of the dodo. I'm sure that we can pull it up through Apple Podcasts. I can okay. give you a little research well, if you'd like. Well, that sounds good. Um, 1,249. I mean, everybody and their brother has like a podcast these days. So I guess being in the top 1,500 for a small little Philadelphia Union podcast, I think that's a win, right? I think you're selling yourself short. After all, it is the, uh, well, I can't say the only Philadelphia Union podcast. There are at least one other podcast. <laughs> well, there's the one that I was doing. Uh, before I got fired, so that uh, the KYW Philly Soccer Show. There's the Union Soccer Podcast as well. Uh, we've got Doopy Brothers. We've got all three points. We've got the views from the bridge. Um, but I think we're kind of the the spiritual leader mm. of um, of Philadelphia Union Soccer Podcast. We're also the most modest as well. You're a regular uh, shaman. Really. That's right. I look proud of you. So that was the second order of housekeeping. The third order of housekeeping is um, I have a little bone to pick with my former uh, co-worker, Kareth Gabriel, uh, who's now the uh, man- the editor of Philly Weekly. Uh, I was going to have him on this week, and I texted him on Tuesday to ask if he could do the show or not to follow up. Never got anything back from him, so I had to shame him on Twitter, and I went on there. I said, Here, you know, Kareth is not answering his phone. Uh, he's not returning text messages. Please ping him on here and let him know. And he he responded with a screenshot that shows that he responded to me, 
but I think it's bullshit. I think he photoshopped it. All these iPhone people, all you iPhone people always complain Ooh. that the reason that Android people, you say, you say it's an Android person's fault that we don't get the text messages, but I think it's an iPhone person's fault that we don't get your shit. Why don't you just fucking get over it already and get an Android and put down the silly iPhones and the Macs and all this Apple bullshit and just get on with it already? Why don't you just try to like evolve from being a petulant child, Apple users, you know? I I Listen, I like Apple products. I do. I was the first one of, of my friends to get a Mac. I enjoy Mac computers. I think they're swell. But the the obsession with the iPhone, it's just sad. And it's sad because the guy who runs the website, uh, in in name and spirit, I guess, uh, he he is just obsessed with every Apple product. And the shame of it all is he thinks that every time an iPhone has a new feature, that it's it's Apple bringing the tech to market. When in fact, Samsung and other Android devices probably did it four years earlier his argument is always that it's more safe and secure on the iphone gag yeah, it's me all bull- it's all bullshit these apple people just need to get over themselves they walk around like their shit don't stink you know like apple can do no wrong and has never done any wrong and as, as if like android users and pc users are like some boorish uncouth barbarians or something all right y'all need to get over it i'm mad i'm mad at Creeth gabriel and i want him to know it um, but we'll try to get him on the program next week, and I'm sure we'll be we'll be over it. Um, by the way, Russ, this episode of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia is brought to you by Cinch Propane Delivery Service. They'll exchange your propane tank for a brand new full tank for just ten dollars with the Crossing Broad promo code Crossing Broad, one word. Uh, just enter your address, leave the tank on your porch or driveway, and Cinch will do the rest. Um, I could use that right now. I've been doing a lot more grilling. Um, I feel like I am glued to the house and I never leave the house Russ, because, you know, as you well know, uh, when you have a kid, you no longer have a life. It's very true, but you do more grilling, but at least you still have a wife. So that's, that's a positive. That's right. You may not have a wife, but you will have a wife. (laughs) Unlike the people, always the first commenter on Adam Schefter tweets and Darren Ravel tweets, just a lot of people saying my wife left me. I feel bad for those people. So listen, um, as Jose from Narstown used to say on 97.5 The Fanatic when he was done messing around, he would like he would always say, uh, let's get it down to the business. Or what would he say? Let's get to the business. What up? Yeah, what what up? up? He'd say, let's get to the business here because he wanted to take a serious turn. <clears throat> um, your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union looked like shit on Saturday. Mm-hmm. They looked very good the week before. 2 nothing win against Chicago. They looked like shit the week before. So 4 nothing loss, 2 nothing win, 4 nothing loss. They're still in first place because the East isn't that great. Uh, where where are you on the glass half empty or full thing right now? How, how full is the water in your glass right now? This was a bad loss. Uh, I, I almost get the same feeling when the Union go up against Montreal that I get when the Flyers played the Devils. Um, I, hmm. I always feel like this is going to be a loss. It doesn't matter if it's home or away. Um, I, I don't know what it is about Montreal. I, I, I genuinely have no clue what it is about it, but of all the matchups in the Eastern Conference, it's the one that gives me the most agita. Um, now, obviously, like Atlanta and everything, you would expect them to do well. But, like, Montreal is always this team that it just feels like has the Union's number. And for them to go up to Montreal and get shellacked like they did with careless play, with poor fundamentals, and a couple of the things that you and I talked about the last time I was on the show – um, there, there are some legit fit issues that I think we're looking at now. And as you're coming down the stretch here in the final, what, 10 games of the season, they've got to fix some things and fix them ASAP. Because if they don't, you know, the high-flying team that we've seen throughout the summer, uh, it, it looks like could very easily bottom out. And, I mean, I'll just say it right now. Jamiro Montero needs to come back. They, they desperately need him because without him, this team has no flow. It has no connection between the defense and up into the final third to their strikers. The midfield is a, is a, a total wreck. And Marco Fabian's inability to play that number 10 role that, that is often expected of him, it, it, there, there's just no cohesive nature of the way that they're playing right now. Everything is disjointed. It looks like nobody knows how to play with one another. And I think Montero being out is is the number one culprit and it it has absolutely underscored the importance of having him here long term. That's yeah, where I'm at. I think so. Um, so 
I, I saw like probably the first half and then uh, I got on the road. I was driving back from the shore. I was just sort of checking my phone every so often, not while driving, but um, it uh, stops in traffic. We'll say that. And, uh, you know, Ray Gaddis was getting a lot of crap on Twitter. Um, honestly, the entire defense was pretty bad and the midfield was pretty bad too as well. But um, I want to read, I want to focus on Gaddis because I feel like everybody's been talking about him week after week after week. I feel like he comes up every week anyway. Um, but Tansy, um, shared a friend of the program, Joe Tansy shared a quote, uh, from Jim Curtin yesterday at his press conference yesterday, Wednesday, uh, a defense of Ray Gattis. So I want to read this to you and, um, you give me your reaction and then I'll react to it. All right. The quote from Jim Curtin quote, I say, that's an example of trying to find one guy to blame. And I think it's unfair. Ray's been here for a while. Ray is humble and quiet. I think sometimes those types of people, I certainly know this, can become the target of who do you want to point the finger at, but that's unfair because of what he does every day in training. He stays healthy. He works his tail off in every practice. Did he have his best game? No, absolutely not, but he knows that. It's not going to be one of us that takes the fall for everybody. We're all in it together. And again, Ray is the right back that has put us in first place as well, so it's not easy to just say that we lost 4 nothing. Who are we going to blame? I don't subscribe to that. I don't think that's fair, and I don't agree with that way of thinking, and I'm going to always back my players. Ray is a guy that gives everything every day and is always available and in practice on the field, off the field, does the right things the right way. Yeah, he had a tough game. So did I. Probably all 11 guys on the field in that game. So it's not just one guy. End quote. So what do you make of that? It's what I would expect from from uh, Jim Curtin. Uh, I had a chance to meet him for the first time at the uh, after the media game. Um, I I get what he's saying, but I... What what you're effectively saying there is that Gaddis is a, a is what in hockey we would call a veteran leader, somebody who is reliable to a point. And I will come back to then probably the the biggest error made in the Ernst Tanner era so far. And I don't I don't think you could say that there have been all that many, but the decision to move on from Keegan Rosenberry just looms over this team, especially with the way that they're 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 playing in this formation. Um, and and I'm sure we're going to break this down in a little bit, but Ray Gaddis's, um, his, his getting into the final third uh, and being unable to do anything that, that is remotely threatening from that position. And then, you know, in, in the past, he's been good at, at kind of covering his ground if he gets caught out of position or if he gets caught in the final third. In this game against Montreal, he did not find his way back, and that that ended up causing a, a ton of nightmares. I will agree with him. Like there, there were a few defensive breakdowns, poor decisions. Jack Elliott had had a, a stupid slide tackle that led to a goal or or led to a breakout. Trusty had a, a missed assignment. Real had a, I think he had a couple boneheaded moments, just fundamentally um, shading the wrong way. So I yeah, it's it's the entire back line's fault in a sense. You know, I, I kind of look at it like this. You didn't have Kai Wagner available in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people that would, you know, criticize Curtin for the decision to play Gaddis, I would say, well, who exactly would you have preferred him to play? We talked about this before the season, but there there was a thought that Mbiza was supposed to be ready. Right. Right. And got R.J. Allen to cover for who, him. Who didn't factor into the game. So then my question, I guess, is are we kind of in that, that moment where, like, this is high school musical season and like Ray Gaddis has been in the drama club for four years, and so Jim feels the necessity to still let him be the lead in the play, even if R.J. Allen is is better but hasn't been part of the organization. Or is it a situation where Gaddis is just flat out better? I don't know. I'm not down at training. Well, give me. Well, here, here's the problem I have. First of all, Jim also said at the live podcast that Joe and Sean did that Ray Gaddis was always going to something like the, the quote was something like Ray Gaddis will always have a spot as long as I'm the coach here. So, the <clears throat> problem is Ray Gaddis is just an utterly average player. He's an utterly average player. <laughs> okay? Yep. He, he can is. be the nicest guy on the planet, and he is. Like, Ray is the most humble dude on the planet. He's a great dude. Um, okay, is he a good soccer player? He's an average soccer player. And it's true. They got to first place with him in the lineup, but he's not the reason they're in first place. No. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if Jim really helps himself. So I'm trying to think of a Flyers comparison here. Um, since you mentioned that, like, I don't you tell me if I'm like off base here. Like, uh, like 
I don't know. Dale Weese, right? He worked hard and he was well res- respected don't in the go, locker don't room. Go there. Right? Nope, don't go there. That's not a good comparison. No? Because you uh, interviewed him and you like him? Is that why? No, it's because uh, Weese wasn't. Give me a Flyers Weiss comparison. Weese wasn't the most popular give me, guy. Give me somebody who um, was here for a long time who was just like average. Uh, Michael Roffel. Roffel's a guy that that is uh, yeah he got an depend- he's yeah. he's he's dependable to an extent he was also extended uh, before the season was yeah. over a really but no bad that's perfect season. but Michael Roffel is not, is not getting you over the hump yes right like he's he's not he might be a nice guy um, he might be relatively affordable Ray Gas is affordable um, yep. you know he he's well liked in the locker room hard worker sure. the coaches appreciate him. Bottom line, does he make your soccer team or your ice hockey team better? No, I don't. And that's why I said it's. And and that's why I said it's like that's why in hockey, especially with the Flyers, we call them veteran leaders because that's. It's almost like in the NBA where you just say like he's an energy guy. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. when you're effectively saying like this guy can't shoot, he can't really do anything, but he'll go in and scrap for rebounds. Like yeah, sure, sure, sure. Same notion here. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, Gattis could be a really good guy, but does he? This is I, I think the the best way to put it is. Um, as this game was going on and I was actively tweeting about it, there were a few people who said, look, I've been behind Ray because Ray has always been a fundamentally sound defensive player. He's not going to give you that dynamic playmaking in the final third, but you can live with that as long as you know that he's going to put a guy, if he's put on an island, he's going to be able to figure his way out of it and limit the damage. Right. And in this game, he just didn't do it. And that that's problematic. Right. So that, that segues me perfectly into the next point. I feel like whenever we have a discussion about Ray Gaddis, or if we're going to relitigate the Keegan Rosenberry trade, I feel like there's groundwork that we have to lay here. There's context that we have to lay out because this is not your typical situation. It's not your typical system. It's not your typical personnel grouping. Okay. So let's get some facts. Get some facts, then come back and see me. I'm going to give you the facts mm-hmm. right now. Um, and you confirm these as we go. Okay, number one, the okay. union play with a non-traditional number six, correct? Correct. Okay, so we know that Harris Madunian is not a Diego Chara, an Ozzy Alonso, an Alex Ring, a guy who's going to sit back and break up attacks, right? Okay. Correct. As a result of that, what the union do is because Madunian will go a little bit forward and he'll he'll – play you know point guard and kind of knock the ball around up in advanced positions as they pull the fullbacks back a little bit okay there's always going to be a fullback back so so within the system you you kind of have ray gaddis as sort of as another body to shield madunian in for his lack of transitional defense and defense in general right we all understand Mm -hmm. that okay so they have enough offense they score enough goals as it is without ray gaddis necessarily needing to get forward um, but as you have pointed out, and other people have pointed out, there have been plenty of time, plenty of times this year where teams have been sitting back and bunkering. Ray does get forward, and he doesn't bring anything in the offensive end, right? <clears throat> so I think the lo- the thing for the longest time that we were saying was Keegan Rosenberry is a better attacker, Ray Gaddis is a better defender. Okay. Yep. Um, now here's the thing: when Ray Gaddis isn't defending well, we already know he's not attacking well at all to begin with. So he's not doing anything well, right? Keegan Rosenberry. Even if his defense was not as good as Ray's defense, offensively, he was always pretty much effective going forward. So in Keegan Rosenberry, if you kept him this year, you might have a guy who was maybe less than less than stable defensively, or if you had pinned him back and just kept him back, that probably takes away what he does best, correct? So maybe it was redundant within the system. Um, now knowing what the union are for them to keep Keegan, if they said, hey, we're, we don't need an attacking fullback anyway, we have, have enough firepower and we have a weird number six, let's just pin that right fullback back. You know, let's just hold him yeah. back, right? You're following, everybody's following, listening. So I get it. But the problem is that at this current juncture in time, Ray Gaddis is not defending any better than Keegan Rosenberry is defending. And Keegan's not having a great season out in Colorado either, but Colorado sucks. And just for the record, I never said that that Keegan Rosenberry was as good of a defender as Ray Gaddis. We always, I think everybody kind of said Keegan's a better attacker, Ray is a better defender. Um, but I personally feel like fullbacks should, in the modern day game, fullbacks should give you a little bit of something going forward. Um, and Keegan was a, was a, a, a decent threat to cross. And that was. feels like, that feels like an element that is so lost with Ray. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I think and it occurred to me this week, and I kind of hate that it occurred to me like it did, but the Keegan Rosenberry being able to be dynamic from a defensive position, but maybe not being the best defensively, 
is almost identical to the argument that the Flyers, uh, Flyers Twitter makes all the time about Shane Goss's bear. Mm-hmm. So here, you know, I feel like we're in in not, constant, he's... we're in constant crossover mode here, but like, but they're good comparisons. It's, it's, it's very, it's very similar. And, and you could say like uh, on the hockey side, you know, a lot of people value an offensive defenseman because they say, you know, that brings a, a whole new level of what you can do on the ice. And, and in the case of Rosenberry, like it, to me, it, it is a similar thing, right? Because his ability to be effective going forward allows for there to be a constant juggling and a, and a an ability to present different looks to midfielders that are tracking back and especially for uh, a defensive line that's that's awaiting the oncoming attack and when Ray Gaddis gets the ball I mean I, I would encourage people to go back and watch the last game or or to look for this in the next game but when Ray Gaddis gets the ball in the final third teams typically do one of two things they either send an immediate pressure because they know that he's not going to be able to possess the ball with somebody in his face, or they often play off of him, and they look to double somebody who's more dynamic. That that counts when Ilsenio's in the game, and Ilsenio, by, by just his very nature, you know, has some kind of gravity that attracts uh, defensive players to him. Or And he still uh, beats him. Or, <laughs> you know, yeah, So Gaddis just stands back there and cleans up loose balls. Or and I think it happened a bunch in the second half, Fafa ended up playing on the right side a few times, and you had Fafa, Pico, and, and Ray Gaddis playing, I, I guess, what they thought was going to be a, a solid 1-2 game. And in the case of both of those players, I don't think they have the foot skills to get by a defender, and I don't think they're really that dynamic in terms of being able to cross or playmake in that in that final third. And what you effectively have at that point is a dead is dead possession because it, it's it's mm-hmm. likely mm-hmm. going to end with a turnover and it's gonna it's gonna likely result in there being at least one major gap with a big ball over the top. So yeah, I, you don't get that with Rosenberry, I guess is what I'm saying. I have two, well actually three points, but one of them's a separate topic, so I'll leave that. Um, as you know, in order to understand the present and the future, we must understand the past. Okay, somebody said that some famous philosopher or something, right? Um, Keegan Rosenberry, 2016, played every single minute of every single game. He was an all-star and uh, got a national team call-up, right? Who were the midfielders on the team back then? It was Brian Carroll was still here. And I uh, played a lot of Warren Cravel, you know, that sort of 6'8", just fucking bulldozer combo with those two mm-hmm. guys. Where Cravel was just a destroyer. Uh, Carroll was a distributor, cleaner upper, you know, kind of swept up in front of the defense, right? So because of that, Keegan Rosenberg could get forward with abandon, right? Because he had a traditional number six and a destroyer number eight who were both cleaning up for him. So, um, and Ilsenia was a starter at times that year and they had some great interchange up the, up the right side, you know, remember that was the year where Barnetta was, um, was in there and then, uh, you know, Bedoya came, uh, halfway through or at the beginning, halfway through something like that. Um, but the point being is that the, the personnel and the setup was completely different, right? So now this issue of Keegan Rosenberg getting caught up the field and struggling defensively didn't become an issue until 2017, right? His second year. Okay. His second year was also Medunian's first year. Correct. Correct. So again, I think it's, it's, this is a system thing more than anything. And I think that's partially why Keegan struggled that year, but he was, he was solid last year. You know, Keegan Rosenberg was not the problem last year. I mean, I thought he had a pretty good rebound year last year. It wasn't the guy that he was in 2016, but the system was different. The play, the personnel was, the system was not different, but the personnel was different. And um, so it just, it just, it just happens to work out that way, right? So now Ray Gaddis, as we've said before on this program, 2012 draft pick, right-footed right back coming out of college, plays a little bit his first year, second year, third year, he goes and plays left back. Okay, so here's a guy I've always given Ray the benefit of the doubt and saying, I don't know what his growth would have been like if he was kept in his natural position on his natural foot for all these years. So I'm sympathetic to the fact that like, yes, he's just sort of a hangback defensive, like, you know, pass the ball backwards, keep possession kind of dude who can win some battles one on one. But he never developed as an attacker because he spent half of the first part of half of the eight years of his career playing on the other side, you know, so. I think that's probably worth reiterating every single time, right? I mean, do you think people are like, do you think we, we, I don't know. I, I guess people are fair 
with Ray to that point, but it still doesn't mean that it's still, when you look at it in a vacuum, it's like, okay, it's 2019, regardless of what happened in the past, is he good now? And he's not that great now. No. And, and I think part of what compounds it is knowing that like, in the case of like high Wagner, right. Ernst found him in the third division in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Right. And Wagner has been a, a pretty dynamic left back. He's been, I think probably the best left back they've had. And well, the bar uh, was incredibly low. I mean, I know it was low, but I'm just saying, you know, I, what, at Who's least the best years. left back in Philadelphia Union history? I mean, he he very well might be. I mean, Fabinho had you know it, Fabi which is had funny, a good but like, year. Had twenty sixteen. Fabinho had Fabinho had had a really solid season. Jordan Harvey's still playing on the best team in the league, <laughs> starting for the best team. In the league. <laughs> oh man! But like I I think when you when you have that kind of bar, and you look across the league and you know that there are likely other players that can fill that role that Ray plays and maybe do a better job. I think that's that's part of what makes it, you know, so difficult. And and quite frankly, you know, right back isn't the most difficult of positions to fill. You're not looking for that dynamic score. No, and you can always right. shove yeah, like a, a, right a like back, a defensive can, midfielder. Somebody else can go back and yep. play there. You know, Matt and that's Polster. and that's and and that's part of the. I think this is again, this is part of the problem with the disjointed way that they've played without Montero. But seeing the way that Gaddis has been getting caught out is alarming but i feel like sometimes it's because like ali i think is a is a defensively responsible enough player where when montero's playing and you start to see ali drift to the right he's oftentimes he, he ends up kind of sitting back a little bit almost as if he's covering harris and since montero's been out it feels like ali's felt this need to push up and that's kind of like created this weird overload that's mm. led to Fabian kind of dropping back yes. almost to where Ali would usually yes, be. Thank you. And again, yeah. this is this is like part of the problem. This is like this is a big reason why I'm gonna like continue to beat this this Jamiro drum. It they have not found any kind of chemistry. It it is very alarming. I, I said this the last time I was on. It could have just been the fact that they didn't have time to gel because Fabian's been out so much of the season and, and hasn't been able to, to build any kind of consistency. But these guys, it just feels like they're all trying to fill into a position that, that they haven't been successful in the spots that these guys have found the most success in that's led to them being top of the table. They can't do because they don't have that dynamic playmaker there in Jamiro and, and, and everybody's just, everybody's just slightly off. Yeah. See, here's the thing. Like, again, we have to take a step back and we have to look at what the system is and what's asked of every player. Number one, the first goal of the shuttlers is that they have to bracket and protect Madunian, right? They are box-to-box guys. And what happens is when Fabian is on the field and, and Montero is off and Aronson is playing one of the shuttler positions, Fabian drifts back and wants to get get the ball deeper, right? That pushes Aronson forward just by virtue of where the space is, right? So as as you well pointed out. Now, here's the thing. Fabian can be back there, fine, but he can't fucking be back there if he's not going to defend or if he's not going to defend in transition. He lost the ball on the third goal the other day because he was, you know, pissing around on it in midfield, and that resulted in a counterattack. Jack Elliott whiffed, and they scored the third goal. So if my thought is that when Montero's on the field and he's playing the other shuttler opposite Bedoya, that Fabian stays up. Stay up. I need you to stay up. Okay, I need you to be that number 10 kind of guy. I can't have you drifting back here because you already have two ball-dominant guys who sit back there and operate in that area, Montero and Medunian, right? So they're displacing each other with this this wonky rotation, which is resulting in them just getting carved open in transition, and that's the problem. You need Montero and Bedoya to help in transition, and Gaddis has to sit back and help in transition as well because if Medunian's going to point guard, you know, you can't let him get caught out as they were doing, you know? So um, one more point, generic point about the fullback play. And um, then we'll do an exercise because we always like to do an exercise on the program, right? Um, Fullback play, Russ, I'm not sure if you know, but I I played in this league in Philadelphia. Do you know what league it is? Um, Was it the Casita? No, that doesn't sound right. It's too small. Could it be the Casa League? That's it. So if you have a, a drink in your hand, drink. <clears throat> so in, no, let's finish finish the drink. <laughs> so 
When I played for um, <clears throat> South Philly, we played three five two. So I played wing. Frank. I played wing Frank. back for South Philly. When I played with uh, Cyborgs, I played center back in a four four two. So four man back line, five five man, three man back line, right? So, <clears throat> but the concept is is really the same with with fullbacks or wingbacks, no matter what. Generally, the onus, the hardest. The responsibility is on the weak side wing back, that offside wing back to kind of drop back and rotate when the ball is on the other side of the field, you know? So, so for example, if Matt Real is up, <clears throat> Ray Gaddis is back, right? Everybody knows that. Kai Wagner's up, Ray Gaddis is back, and vice versa, right? Um, one of the things that's hard is that I think fullback mistakes look a lot worse than center back mistakes. And what I mean by that is, like, I'll give you an example. I know this is, I know it's an aural <clears throat> um medium and nobody's looking at video here or anything but you know say I'm a center back and the other center back gets beat so I rotate over to my left to cover for his guy then the fullback behind me has to cover rotate over and he's got to cover for my guy and if he doesn't get in front of my guy it looks like he's out of position and it's his mistake plus he's got his man who's 10 yards behind him who he had to vacate right Yep. But whose mistake was it? It was the first center back because he got beaten. He's the one who forced the rotation, right? So yep. a lot of times, like, fullbacks always look like they're playing worse than they are because they're the last man in the defensive rotation in that weak side pullback rotation. So <clears throat> that's why when people always say, well, Gaddis, of course, Gaddis is the last last man, like in that first goal, for example, the other night. But the f- fault, the problem started way up in midfield, you know? oftentimes fullbacks are like the last person in the frame. So it looks like they're a lot more responsible for it than maybe they aren't. You know what I mean? So, and that's the same with basketball rotations and whatnot too. You know, it's easy to say like, well, this guy was slow. You know, the power forward was slow to rotate over and, you know, you know, contest Kyrie Irving's shot, but who was guarding Kyrie in the first place? He's the one who got beat. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I just want people to kind of like think about that concept when you're watching the game remember it's not the last guy it's not the second guy or the third guy that gets beat it's the first guy who forces the rotation I, I know that that's like just natural in sports and it happens and everything it's not going to be perfect all the time and it's help, help defense is just as big as anything but just keep that in your mind so yep. um right that's fair that's a fair point i'm not off base so, or anything yeah. there okay yeah so to the exercise then we're gonna do um what i like to call Can i just say let yeah let, uh, sorry mm-hmm. This this is the thing. Some this is part of why sometimes, and I'm not I'm not like gunning for anybody, but I think this is part of the problem. Is sometimes people cover a, a sport and they've never played it. It doesn't matter how like I could, I could say it doesn't matter what level you've played at, but there there's a fundamental understanding that I think you have to have if you're covering a sport, mm-hmm. um, and if you're if you're gonna try to break down the tactics or you're going to try to break down film you had better understand what you're seeing and sometimes you read people's stuff and you're like you know probably better served not to be doing that like i know in in, in my case right mm-hmm. like i i do flyer stuff i didn't grow up playing hockey mm-hmm. so most of the stuff that i end up writing is player based it's usually profile pieces and then sometimes it's about things that I can understand systematically, but you're not going to see me break down the technique that a player uses sure, at a half sure. ball, right? And and I think that's part of the problem. Well, uh, even if you do, there, it it exists on on the uh, the union side sometimes, depending on who you read. They um, you no, know, even if you do know what you're talking about, you understand the concepts. It's it's it just brings you to a whole different level feeling those concepts and going through those physically you know on the field you know experiencing what those are you know like you anybody could sort of sit there and say okay well Ray Gattis has to rotate from the from the weak side spot but going and doing it yourself too gives you an appreciation for when to break when not to break what angle to take you know how hard you got to run to get to this point you know what the what the you know the speed of the game is stuff like that those are always things that whether you understand it 100 percent watching it or how if you could have covered and written about soccer for 15 years and understand all these concepts but you're always going to feel the game a little bit differently when you're when you're out there so i get that and and to your point like sure in ice uh, in ice hockey i would imagine like none of the dudes in that press box played ice hockey did they i mean i think there might be a there i I think if there are there there are limited. They're limited. Was there Sam limited. Carcidi a, Usually, a def- defenseman back in the day? <laughs> Sam. I'm going to take a no comment, no comment on that. On, uh, All right, on, so let's get to the um, – I like Sam's good dude, but I can't – I don't think he played ice hockey growing up. Um, so the exercise is we're going to play the blame game. <clears throat> this was a favorite sure. favorite game of my former managing editor, 
uh, at CBS three, Mike Archer, who was just a total asshole of a human being. So I just wanted to shout him out. He's retired. <clears throat> and the, uh, people who were working there when I got fired, they both got fired. So that's just kind of funny how all that works out, you know? Um, but we're going to assign blame. I'm not really, I'm really not bitter. I just find it funny. You know, it's like, you know, well, sure. what goes around, you know? Um, so we're going to assign blame for all the goals on, um, because everybody's just obsessed with this idea of like, it's always, that's, isn't that Philly Russ? Like every, it's always one person who's at fault for something, right? Um, it is. We or one person has to end up with the burden of it more than everybody else. Right. I'm not sure why we do yep. that. Maybe it's just because it makes for good radio or good talking points or, or somebody's got to be the scapegoat or something like that. And again, I know you're listening to this in, in audio format, but if you're in front of your computer or on your, on your phone or something, pull up the Montreal highlights. They're very brief. It's just for uh, Montreal goals on MLSsoccer.com. And I'm sure you can even just remember a bunch of them in your head since it's pretty fresh anyway. So we're just going to go through. I'm going to tell you who Russ and I are going to tell you who we think is to blame for each one. Okay. So the first goal, Oh, this could be like a watch along. I like this. Yeah, it could be a watch along if you do have, uh, if you are able to pull up a screen here. And if not, I'll try to illustrate it as simply as possible, right? So on the first goal, it's the one where Ray Gattis is out wide and they slip the ball through and uh, lap a line and scores. Okay, so first of all, the midfield got, like four guys in the midfield got skinned on the flank and let a guy run right by him, right? So then you're in yep. scramble mode. Um, Austin Trusty is covering. He can't. Austin Trusty should have been the first person to step up there because he's the left center back, but he can't because Matt Real is up the field as well. So he's got to sort of hold back and, and cover for his guy. Jack Elliott steps up again. Jack Elliott does step up, but a little late. And Ray Gaddis is staying wide on his guy, but it kind of gets caught in no man's land. Great, great pass. Give the guy credit for the pass. And a good finish. So there, I think Ray probably could have actually pinched inside a little bit more because at that point, when when Elliott steps, um, you're really not worried about f- keeping any width at all. Just try to pinch and narrow the field as much as possible. And if they play the ball wide to your guy, then you can try to circle back and kind of angle him off a little bit instead of him receiving the ball cutting in. Kind of like narrow that and make them pass the ball out wide, and at least give Andre Blake a chance to to kind of push him to the side and, and, and give him less of a shooting, uh, a shooting area, you know? So I would blame number one, the midfield, all the midfielders who just got burned on that. Um, then I guess Ray Gaddis and, and Jack Elliott share the blame equally on that one. There's a strange kind of, uh, it's, it's a lot of things that go wrong all at once. Um, from my, from my vantage point, there was probably a, a short lane for Fafa to try to cut inside to try to limit the, uh, the ability of, uh, who is that? I have it written down. Uh, that was Brault. Brault Gillard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for him to take the two or three extra touches to get central. Yeah. Um, it might have been that Real was calling him off because Real thought he was going to be able to cut him. But once uh, once Brault got closer, uh, you can see they they collapse three guys on, but nobody really steps Bedoya through. was hanging around and, there, too. Ali yeah. <laughs> was in a weird spot, too, because Ali's facing goal. All right, fine. Um, he's tracking back. I would expect it. The problem is it was almost as if he was hedging against uh, another late runner. I think that's Piotti. Yeah, Piotti was down. behind but, him, yeah. But that's not going to be a pass that whatever Ali thought he was doing there, this would be a, a good time to go back with the VR headset. Um, you look at it and it's like hedging against that potential pass, the likelihood of that being a, a dangerous pass while uh, Brout is on is on the run like that, it, it's such a low probability that that pass gets through. And you almost wish that he would have stepped to or that he would have taken a sharper angle to cut and, and ef- effectively run this guy into Jack Yeah, Allen, and then look, waiting. and if he does that and Piotti gets free, then Ray Gaddis can step up and, and cover him instead, you know, instead of Ray yeah, just Gattis sort of is actually, back. Yeah, yeah. And Gaddis is probably in a better position. And because of the uh, the momentum that, I can't say his name, Lapalainen. Lapalainen. Because he's going at, at full bore, he'll probably be off. Like, if that ball gets dropped back to Piotti, he's probably going to end up being offside. He'll have to track back. I mean, this is all easy to say going back and, like, dissecting the play. But there are a few just fundamental issues there in the way that they closed out. And to see that at midfield, when the play initially developed and the overlap was being run, that, like, led to Brot, Brot, Brault, uh, getting himself open. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's it's frustrating there and it's frustrating outside of the So AT. I think we don't – I'm not – you and I are not heaping as much on Ray – on that one as as much as sharing it for everybody you know because again that's exactly what i'm talking about the rotations ray gaddis is the last guy in the rotation so naturally it looks naturally his guy scores a goal it makes him look worse than he really is 
right? When the mistakes yeah. started way up, Madunian is a friggin' statue up there. Like, I don't know what he's doing up there anyway. Um, but there's a lot of bad to go around, right? Okay. Second goal, um, Ray Gaddis, a, a bad header backwards that takes Jack Elliott out of the play because it goes over his head, right? So then Trusty's yeah. backpedaling. He's rotating. He's just, try, he's just trying to hold the guys in front of him. I thought Matt Real actually did a really, really good job because he comes in on Nacho Piatti, narrows that angle, forces the pass to his original guy, uh, Aquanquo, and then he's defended him, and it takes a, a slightest deflection off, and it barely goes in. So I thought they defended that okay. It was just Ray's bad header that took Jack Elliott out of the play. And then you got two guys kind of scrambling and rotating, and the midfield's nowhere to be found. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking because it's like there's a there's a moment where I think Gaddis ended up doing a good job of, of tracking back and causing the uh, the play to continue to go um, across to the, other the, side field. Of the field. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what you would want him to do in that situation. I just think it was the initial step too that uh, was a trusty. Yeah, the trusty initially made that kind of forced the play to go laterally. They did do a good um, job trying it, to sh- trying to push it to the other side. Yeah, yeah. It's just that nobody was nobody was really in position to to cut the uh, the routes down to cut the runners down, and a lot of that was because they they almost overcompensated to the right to their right which left that left flank open. And again, it, it's it's the same idea of them just not having the... It feels like the back line in this game just didn't communicate well when it came to cheating over to the side and covering each other's spots. And they had some whiffs, and, too, and that, some bad whiffs. Yeah. 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 Um, third goal, Marco Fabian, back in the midfield, turns the ball over. Um, yep. He's not fast enough or fit enough to sprint back and defend. Madunian it's not fast enough to sprint back and defend. Elliot hesitates, and then he decides to go to ground anyway, and he whiffs. And that's the worst thing you can do. If you're going to go to ground, you've you got to know you're going you're gonna to win the ball. And oftentimes they teach you not to – It's the hardest, the hardest way to tackle is a center back is straight on. Like 99 times yes. out of 100, the way that you're taught to do it is – you know what your breaking point is. You know how far back you can backpedal before you really got to make a play on the ball. And it's usually around like 20 yards, 24 yards, 25 yards, something like that typically, right? If a guy's running straight at me, straight at me, straight at me, and I take a stab, he can easily go right around me. So basically you're taught to make your break on, on the opponent's break, right? So he goes yep. straight, straight, straight left. Then you break when he when he makes his cut, you know, because that way you're pushing him sideways, and even if you whiff, you're putting him off of his path. You're slowing him down. The run is less linear than it was, right? So that allows you to get other guys in and get more bodies back, right? So, so Elliot did none of that, and he went for a slide tackle and missed it. Um, Madunian doesn't have the foot speed for that, and Andre Blake, I don't think, did a good job coming out and narrowing the angle. There's a big issue that I have with this goal that that you didn't mention, but but stood out to me like a sore thumb. When Fabian makes the turnover at midfield, Ray Gaddis has already begun this this overlapping overload on the right side. And when the ball is turned over, he is further ahead. He's further up the pitch than any single midfielder on the team. He's almost operating as if he's like a withdrawn third forward. Mm-hmm. And I understand that systematically there there is this idea. They like to control centrally. They often like to line up in a narrower Formation. Yeah, they like to just kind of flood, and, and flood some, the zone there. And, and, then, and then, you know, there are those moments that they try to catch a, a team out wide. They try to catch them with an overload to, to try to, you know, set up their, their small triangle passing and to have a 3v2 or 3v1. Mm-hmm. The problem here is it looked like it was poor communication because I think, and I could be wrong, Ray getting up as quickly as he did and getting as far up the pitch as he did – I don't think Jack Elliott realized that there was nobody on the right flank to, to uh, oh, you think to he make thought, up he for. thought he had somebody. Yeah, I, him. I think he either thought that Ray was there or that somebody had dropped back to cover Ray. Because fundamentally, as a center back, it makes no sense whatsoever to make that that attempt at a slide tackle at midfield if you think that or if you're aware that that your right back isn't there. Well, yeah, it's too just... risky of a play, and I think he's fundamentally sound enough. He's a smart enough player to know that that's a that is a very poor decision on his part. And well, and th- when you look back at it, I mean, if Ray is if Ray's even remotely around where you would expect him to be, well, and Bedoya, yeah, up. and Bedoya was the guy who was asking for the pass, and when yep. the pass was stolen, Bedoya, you know, made a 
uh, hand j- just stopped and showed shitty body language at Fabian and took himself out of the play. Like he's literally hands. I'm watching it again. Bedoya is standing there with his hands on his knees while the ball is in transition and he's not getting back to, to defend. So that bit him in the ass as well. So again, what's the recurring theme here, Russ? I mean, there's multiple people to blame on every single thing that we've talked about. Right. Um, yep. The fourth goal, I mean, whatever they're chasing the game. Guys are up the field. Um, but Austin trusty, if you're going to get on the guy's back, I mean, you can't let him control and flick, flick on, you know, I mean, he doesn't let him turn. Normally when you're a defender, they just say, get up on your back. Don't let the guy turn. But if he's going to flick the ball over his head, then you got to try to make him at least a little bit uncomfortable, you know, and that just turns into the break. Gattis is, isn't fast enough. Fabian isn't fast enough. Again, Blake didn't really do much to come out and try to narrow that angle. Um, so there's one, two, three, four, you know, two, well, one, two, it's honestly one point, it's honestly one of one point two five people to blame. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's uh it's one of the saddest plays I think you'll see. It is uh, It was a we know this game is over kind of it's, play. Yeah, because like at least, you know, you look at a trustee's hustling back. Gaddis I, I guess this is the only argument. Like Fabian very clearly is not fast. Um you look at Gaddis and, and the only thing he maybe could have done differently is to is to take a much sharper angle to try to force this play wide. Mm. But then I, I, I don't know who it was. It, it wasn't Piotti behind it. By the way, I'm, I'm sorry. Behind. I didn't mention this, but on the third goal, Austin trusty at some point has to realize that there's nobody behind him. It, Matt Rayal and Jack Elliott both had their dudes behind him. He's the only one he's got to cut that angle and he's got to address the, the attacker. I don't think Austin's doing a good enough job at turning his head in off ball situations to see who's behind him or get like that peripheral you know um he's yep. he's yep. He, and that's what happened with the the miscommunication with, with Fabinho too I, against um Real Salt Lake when they also lost four nothing you gotta you gotta always have your head on a swivel man you always gotta know what the hell's behind you even even if you're a center back and even if dudes aren't behind you that guy was not behind him he was to his left and in this case he was on his left but you have to look to see if other guys are covered and you can make that break on the ball sorry anyway go ahead no, it's okay. That was pretty much it. I, okay. All right. So here, here's it's, the... It's just, it, like, breaking it down, it's it's just very clear that, you know, a lot of people wanted Ray Gaddis's head on a on a platter after this mm-hmm. one. And, and you know, I've been critical of, of Ray Gaddis plenty of times, but this wasn't all I on can't him. put... Yeah, I mean, look, here, here's what... We, here, these are the names that we said and the people that we identified as making mistakes on, on the goals in that game. Um, Ray Gaddis, Jack Elliott... Austin Trusty, Marco Fabian, Alejandro Bedoya, um, Andre Blake, the entire midfield. Okay, so <laughs> everybody, everybody except for, I mean, well, Pico, you could put him in there too if you wanted to. In the one play where he was, he was for it also. Um, but I, yeah, everybody, I guess, besides Shabilko, I think had some responsibility in at least one of these goals, right? Is that what we've determined? Yeah. All right. So anyway, there's a lot of blame to go around. Um, I only have two more comments before we get to the questions. I want to see Andrew Andrew sure. Vooten start. Um, yep. And I liked the skills competition. I thought the skills competition was rad, man. I'd like to see that again. I like that you made the uh, the uh, Twitter the Twitter story or whatever it was the Twitter live event thing the uh, the one where they they compile was it the story where they compile mm-hmm. some popular tweets and I think you were like the fourth or fifth one that was really exciting oh, yeah hell yeah, yeah. Um, I still got it man still I got mean, it it was it was kind of nice I mean look any kind of anytime you can do a skills competition. And it's not like the worst thing in the world. It's it it's certainly more entertaining. It's than cool. The Atletico guys seem, seem to be into it. The Orlando guys seem to be into it. Um, Wayne Rooney seemed to be into it. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Um, the All Star game. Oh, by the way, a bunch of blown the, chances, but the uh, the Rooney tabloid stuff that came out this week. I don't know if you saw um, it, about, about him uh, going back to England. Was that? Yeah, um, that was awesome. Wild. He said he didn't want to. Well, I don't know. Hasn't he been in? That isn't his wife he, wants him to go back. Isn't and, he in the tabloids like every other day over there? Um, or wasn't he yeah, like probably. during his career? <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, we got about ten. Let's take ten minutes to do um, questions and comments, and then we'll we'll wrap it up at about an hour, which will be nice. Um, How about that? Okay, Andrew Dillon Dills, um, a longtime listener. He says, "Not a question, but a comment and a concern." Uh, the union have a negative goal differential since the beginning of June. Which takes us back to before the Gold Cup break. Yeah, I mean, I always knew I hated the Gold Cup. They, um, is that the narrative we're going with that the break kind of 
screwed them up a little bit or killed the momentum. Oh, yeah, this is like, yeah, absolutely. So listen, let's go by PPG because everybody loves PPG. Uh, well, goal differential first. The union's goal differential is five. Atlanta United, nine. New York City, 12. So the union are number one on points in the East, but number three in goal differential. PPG is 1.63. New York has a 1.75. So blah, 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 blah. Union first place in points, second in PPG, third in goal differential. And they have given up 36 goals total. So their defense is one, two, three. Their defense is sixth, fifth in total goals allowed, which is not great. And then when you go down to the Western Conference, uh, 2.23, 1.73, 1.68, 1.68. So the Union are actually sixth in MLS right now in points per game. They're actually behind San Jose now at this point. That's crazy. 11, 7, and 4. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Okay. Um, Richard Saunders says, it's just a home playoff game this year actually something to be celebrated, or is it another missed opportunity? No, I, I well, it's still positive, but because that, that was the goal at the beginning of the year. So whether they scrape their way and surprise everybody into it, or they like struggle and back their way into it, I still think you're hitting the mark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nico says, uh, at Nico DeGaio says, why do I feel like there are four cheetahs chasing me and I have the speed of a water buffalo? And he says that the water buffalo is the union and the cheetahs are the Eastern Conference. Well, um, it might be because, oh, I, I'm, I'm not going to attack him that much. I think it's just because you have a, a really, really slow ass number 10 right now who doesn't seem to be able to or willing to play the position the way that others have played it more successfully this They're year. not a fast and team, it's are throwing, they? It's throwing, it's throwing everybody for They a are not a fast team. Pace is not. I mean, Fafa Pico, and then who's the second fastest guy on the team behind him? Sergio Santos. Now, I don't know. I, I Jamiro, Jamiro's quick. I don't know if he's if He's, he's shorter, uh, so he doesn't have the long straight strides. straight line fast. Yeah, um, yeah. God, I don't know. It's a good question. Austin Trusty? It's not Madunia, it's not Bedoya. 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 <laughs> we should do a new segment on the on the podcast where every week I pick out three words that end with A and uh, we'll pronounce them as if we're British. I'm going to do a Google search right now. Okay, you do, do that right and we'll now. do our first. Um, that'll be our first uh, usage of the new segment. Um, okay. In the meantime, I'll continue to read stuff here. John Turley says, uh, have the last few games proven that Montero is the MVP of this team? <sighs> yeah, I mean, if he's not, I don't know who is. You know, It's always weird because they're like such a team and they play a team game, but yeah, it's got to be him, you know? Yeah, it absolutely um, is. Jay... He is the, uh, what is it? He's the straw that stirs the drink? Is that the, is that the expression? No, the expression is um, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, but you don't know what the flavor is. You're dipping in the Kool-Aid. Oh, sorry. Come on, Cory Booker, you fraud. That's my last foray into politics for this episode. Oh, man, I forgot. Yeah, that's right, the debates. Oh, we could have let off with some Bernie. Jared Remster, nice meeting you, by the way, at the live podcast, Jared. Um, he says, what is the problem on the road? Uh, two four-nothing drubbings when they looked pretty lifeless um, does not instill confidence. I don't know, because um, they had been fine on the road before. I think like last year they were pretty good on the road. Um, I don't know. Is it legs? Like you don't have the legs for transition, for counterattack, for um, defending counterattacks after sitting in a on a charter flight for a while. I really, I really don't know. I really don't know. And they had a ton of the possession, but they just got carved open transitionally, which was the problem last year. You know. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, Doctor Strange, dupe on a scale of one to ten. How confident are you that the Union can accomplish finishing first in the East, at least get a home playoff game, and win a playoff game? Um, finishing first in the East, my confidence—excuse <coughs> me, my confidence level is like a three. Um, getting a home playoff game, my confidence level is like a six or a seven. I still think they'll have a home playoff game. Winning a playoff game, oh man, I, I don't know, like a four or five, maybe. Well, if it's at home, then yeah, six or seven. So I'll go a three, a six or seven, and a six or seven. Um, Cullen okay. says I'm moving out to Columbus in a couple of days and seeing their stadium and passing, um, at least based on the outside and the surroundings, Philly is a lot nicer than the crew. Um, yeah, I've never, I drove through Columbus. I've never spent any time in Columbus. Um, this, that stadium is up like on the North side, I think like on the opposite side of the Ohio state campus. I think never been though. 
Um, Stan yeah. says, have you been to Columbus? Yeah. Have I? Okay. No. Um, no, I, I like to, if I'm going to go to a city, I want to go to a real mm. city. So. Uh, real true, true story. <laughs> I interviewed for a job in Lima, Ohio when I was uh, 22. And so I drove through Columbus really? to get there and Lima was about as big as Pottsville. Like television, great television town. market, like 199 or something. Pottsville, great town. Love it. So Casey McDonald's from. She is. She went to the Catholic school. She went to Nativity. Casey McDonald, who was leaving her job at NESN and going who knows where. Maybe to San Diego with I actually, her boyfriend, if uh, I, Eric Hosmer. If I were to tell you that I actually know where she's going next, would that surprise you? No. I don't, but we both grew up in this. Patrick same Shank uh, says, even though we are only seven points above eighth place Toronto, uh, analysis evolved still gives the union a 98.4 point uh, 98.4% chance of making the playoffs uh, and an 82.5% chance of finishing in the top four. Uh, where do you see them finishing based on 10 games left? So, you know, we did this group exercise actually at the live podcast where we went through, um, game by game and we and we said you know one point zero points three points whatever and we actually had the union finishing on 57 the entire like all the audience and me and and joe and matt so we had them finishing on 57 now for reference last year the east was disproportionate because atlanta and new york were both really really good and finished with like 70 points right so this year the western conference is a better conference so so the west last year from first um, to fifth place, it went 62 points, 59, 57, 57, 54. So assuming that the East is kind of on the same trajectory as the West was last year, if the Union finished with 57 points this year, that would get them third or fourth um, in the East. Does that sound right? I I just did the math. I, I think I have them at like 54. Yeah, at 54. Okay, yeah. so that would be like fifth based on last year's Western Conference. Which is not a home playoff here's game, the, but but again, here's the thing: if if you if you lose Jamiro, like if he comes back and tweaks something, you're you're kind of screwed. Like I think we've seen what this team is without yeah. him. You have to hope that Marco Fabian ends up being worth worth the, the money that you spent on him. Uh, yeah, you did the exercise already, so we don't have to go game by um, game. But Matt Thornton says, "Are you reading into the Matt Real as a center back experiment that has been happening with Steele? I see that on the lineup card. I don't." really know what to make of it um austin trustee may be receiving offers uh, so more important to find an lcb replacement. well i'd like to see mark mckenzie in there i still don't know what the hell is going up with him um matt real i don't know i haven't seen enough of matt real and I, I generally don't like pulling fullbacks into play center back i mean it yeah. really is a lot different than i think people realize like it's hard to it's hard to go from from one to the other. It's hard for center backs to go out and play fullback, and it's harder for fullbacks to come in and play center back as well. Uh, I'd say it's easier for fullbacks to come in and play center back as like a later stage career transition kind of thing. Um, but going the opposite way, I don't think it works as well. Um, Daryl Hooper, uh, what effect Montero's return have on Fabian? will he be an effective number 10 or will he continue to treat the 60 minutes in each game as a personal skills competition, uh, including taking ludicrously <laughs> difficult shots? Yeah, I mean, well, he has hit a couple of those crazily enough. But, yeah, it's like you and I were saying, Russ. It's it's just it's a spacing thing, you know. I'll give you a Sixers. We always do a Sixers comparison now. It's like the Joel and the Fabiana Montero push and pull back and forth kind of thing this is, is similar to the Joel Embiid Ben Simmons four out uh, one in kind of thing you know when only one of them yep. is really a shooter so where are you going to stick Ben Simmons you're going to stick him in the dunker spot and just hope for the best you know so yeah like I would I I think I would want I said this the last time I think I'd want to make Montero the 10 the problem is that anytime Montero seems to take a shot or he has the ability to line one up he never gets he never gets the ball cleanly and no, that's like yeah, one yeah. thing that Fabian. That's one thing that Fabian like Fabian really does. Fabian just hits him flush, man. Does well. Mm. He he does. He he'll crush. And like, you know, on the the one out of every what ten that he takes, he'll hit. Like, there's at least a threat there. That's I think that is probably Jamiro's probably biggest shortcoming mm-hmm. is that he's not a threat from distance. Yeah. And if he if he were if you were if you were able to connect on a couple then you're looking at a, a wickedly dynamic and dangerous player i still I, I i really do think that at some point they're gonna have to figure out if 
they're better suited to have Marco Fabian play at striker, which I think would be a that could be a cluster, or to start having him kind of sit back in a in a role sort of like how how Ale usually plays to cover for mm-hmm. Harris because I I just don't I think part of the the issue uh, in that kind of scenario is I just don't think Fabian has the quickness that he would need. Yeah, I, I just it it it's kind of disappointing. It 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 almost makes the most sense to have him play up top just because of his lack of speed, his ability to crush, but I, I don't know what that looks like. And again, you have a glut of, of forwards that you could fun, that you could theoretically play, including Wooten, who I still don't I, I don't get why hasn't gotten a longer run here. I, I just, know, I, I think it's time. I do not I understand it. Um, before we do the exercise and wrap it up, a uh, shout-out to our friends at Reading United uh, who are playing for the USL 2 championship on saturday um at 7 30 they are going out to michigan um to play the flint city bucks the mich uh, i think they're formerly called the michigan bucks i think they're called flint city bucks now uh reading beat south georgia uh tormenta uh three to two um down Ooh. in uh georgia last week oh no they're not going are they going down to no it's a home game it's a home game. It's at um, where the hell is it? I should know this. Are they playing at uh, Gursky? Jesus Christ! I should know this. I'm terrible. Um, but anyway, they beat like four teams in the playoffs, and they're playing for the uh, playing for the final on Saturday. So go it? figure. That's uh, rad. I dig it. Um, okay. Do you have words um, that end in a for me? I do. Do we have to talk like Tommy Smith for this? So one? you tell me the word, and then we'll do it. We'll pronounce okay. it in a British uh, accent. All right. First word is chutzpah. <laughs> chutzpah. <laughs> uh, chutzper. Chutz. Chutzper. <laughs> oh, father, he really put some chutzper on that one. Right, yeah, you're saying word. it in Tommy's Irish accent, but I think it's only the British who do that. I think no. the. He, he does. does. He does the pronounces the words that end in a with like an er as well. Yeah, he says. Okay, Fuffer. well, find find a word. Uh, find Fuffer. a word that starts in what? t with a th and then ends in an a, and then we can get the best of. Ah, uh, jeez. Uh, oh, um, All right, hold on. I had here in a, in a <laughs> here you go. How about hickama? While I look for another word, hickamer. <laughs> oh, I hickamer. love the hickamer. <laughs> Um, how, how about, about the country in West uh, Africa that Michael Essien played for? Africa. I'm, I'm kidding. I, what, uh, go Goner. Goner. <laughs> Goner. Goner would work too. Goner. Goner here. Uh, let's see. Oh man, this is really hard. I googled words that start with th and end with a. You know, it's it's. Uh, Thermodynamic that doesn't end with an A. Google's not helpful. No. Uh, let, let's see. This is good pod right here. I I am wondering how many. How about words? Could how about actually... bonanza? Bonanza. <laughs> oh, oh! I used to love the show Bonanza. bonanza. Um. Oh, here we go. Oh God, what is that word? Thalass, thalassamia. 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 <laughs> Here's a good one. Uh, Pathology, a hereditary disease common in many parts of the world, resulting from defects in the synthesis of the red blood pigment hemoglobin. Here's a good one for you. Wow. Uh, JavaScript. Oh, oh, Pfeffer used to go and learn how to code, and he, he was a pro in the JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the last one, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, unless you have more that you wrote down, uh, the Brazilians, um, um, the Brazilian soccer player Kaká. Oh, Kaker, <laughs> Kaker. Oh, and you gotta love. Now, listen, listen, Kevin. If you're looking for a for a, a female to put the onion in the basket, to put it in the <laughs> onion bag, of course you go with the Brazilian star, Martyr. <laughs> Just like Joan of Arc, she's a martyr. <laughs> Okay, I'll give you oh, one more. And we'll, good cross-reference there. We'll end on this one. Um, so when an insect is a larva 
after it becomes a larva, it becomes a pupa, (laughs) P-U-P-A. From a larva (laughs) to a a pooper. Oh, the pooper scooper. (laughs) (laughs) This is... It's always soccer in Philadelphia. I need, oh man, what? <laughs> there has to be a word. I need. Listen, if if you're listening to this show and you're screaming at it because uh, you know a word that starts with th and ends in a, I found one. Okay, here we go. I mean, it's not technically English. It's a, a Greek letter. Uh, hold on, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta. It's the Greek letter after eater. <laughs> ah, good knowledge there, I'm Kevin. So at the lar- larva. <laughs> I thought you Good were just, old theater. I didn't mean theater. To, when I said larva. That was just kind of to provide context. I didn't think you were going to say you were You forgot that <laughs> From a larva to a pooper, episode number 86 uh, of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Uh, Kevin Kincaid uh, for Baxter and uh, Rush Joy. Thanks for jumping on, my man. And uh, thanks for having me. Now, in the next episode, we'll do more words that end in A. Thank you. <laughs>